Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Brett. How are you? I'm well, and you? I'm fantastic. It's 2023. And it's a Friday. We're recording on Friday. I love when we record on Fridays. I feel like there's just good energy. I think so, too, going into the weekend. Yeah. And we have a special guest today, and it's a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day. Our guest today is Ghislaine Gorege. Gorege. And Ghislaine is a partner with New Edge Wealth. He, for nearly three decades, he does not look his age, but for nearly three decades, he has worked with ultra high net worth families and entrepreneurs to help them meet their investment needs, philanthropic goals, and lifestyle objectives. He specializes in guiding entrepreneurs and their families through business transitions. And throughout his career, he's held positions at small institutions such as UBS, Bank of America, Lehman Brothers, Merrill Lynch, and Citibank. Oh, I see what you did there. Yes, it was sarcasm. It wasn't well played. A, they weren't actually small. Well played. But, and he's also a lawyer too, and an Ivy Leaguer. He went to undergrad at University of Pennsylvania, where he graduated with honors in political science. That's right. And then Harvard Law School. Have you heard of that one? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He has been recognized as an industry leader by several major organizations, such as Forbes, Financial Times, and Barron's for the past five years. He's also a certified exit planning advisor, or SEPA, which provides a unique value-additive offering to his entrepreneurial client base. He lives in Coral Gables with his wife and two Great Danes. I'm a big Great Dane. I grew up with Great Danes. And he has four grown children. Welcome, Gisling. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Thanks for coming. That is an impressive... Bio. Yeah, it, it really I is. Mean, Why'd you leave the law? What's wrong with you? Yeah, I just wasn't smart, smart. enough to be able to, nah, to, to, yeah. to, to Smarter. continue. Smarter. I think you were too smart. It's <laughs> yeah. the, uh, right. Too smart. Well, the answer is I always had an interest in financial services. I started out with you know big law, big law firm. As a junior associate, you guys graduated past that. Yeah. I kind of got frustrated with all the hours, all of the being almost a Scrivener, mm. just writing contracts. So I ended up going to the training program at what became Bank of America and have stayed in the services industry ever since, financial was, services. And was that something that kind of, oh, did you know almost immediately or was it just over time it just wore you down or how that? So it's funny because in, in law school, I kind of discovered that I was more interested in banking, mm. finance, those right. types of things. Ended up moving to Miami. Not a lot of investment banking jobs back then, so it was easier to make a transition to a big commercial bank. Right. Yeah. What type of law, well, when you, before you were in the financial services, were, is that the type of law you practiced, M&A or transactional? Yeah, it was securities, that, securities yeah. attorney. Worked on okay. some sort of big transactions. This is going to go way back for you guys with Southeast Bank. Oh, yeah, uh, sure. Was, it was a client. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So we'd we work, we'd work on, <laughs> on a Euro note deal for Southeast Bank. Mm-hmm. And as a first-year associate, you know, they said, okay, go work on this agreement. Draft number 15, you're like, oh, my God. Right. Is this all there is? <laughs> right. 2,400 hours later. <laughs> there there right. you go. There and you so go. You've, you've navigated now, or, or I should say evolved into what Jeff described, which That's is right. helping you know, entrepreneurs exit effectively, right? Plan for it and then ultimately exit. Is that? That's exactly what we do. Mm -hmm. New Edge, you guys formed New Edge. It's a a boutique practice. How how would you describe it? Because you also, like us, started with big firms, big banking institutions, and then started your own group. So New Edge is, is considered an independent firm within our industry. So if you take a look at the big mega banks, we came from UBS, the Lehman Brothers, the Merrill Lynch's of the world. They've gotten very, very big. 
And the, the sort of value proposition that they offer is they cover so many different types of clients. And we kind of felt that if you're in a niche, which is high net worth, ultra high net worth, there's a certain approach that one takes. And to grow and evolve the practice and to take care of clients the way they want to be taken care of mm-hmm. sort of puts you at odds with a lot of the regulatory, the compliance, the admin. There's a lot of bureaucracy that happens in, in a big bank. And as you see the need of clients to be nimble, to be able to be innovative, it's hard to deliver. As you know, this in a small firm, law firm, it's the same kind of story where you want to be able to just pivot and you need to be able to do that with clients. And and being in a firm like New Edge allows us that opportunity. And so it's it's a real win-win for, especially for the clients and then for Mm -hmm. us. And we feel that we can navigate things more more easily for them. So when you, you referenced high net worth or ultra high net worth, are there brackets or how do you determine who somebody is high net worth or ultra high net worth? You know, the interesting way to sort of take that, because everybody has a different definition. Mm-hmm. Some banks will say 25 million or more is the cutoff. There's 25 a, million is the cutoff to ultra? To ultra. That's what makes ultra. Right. And okay. then 10 is kind of where you start at other banks. One of the ways to look at it as well is if you're an institution on two legs, you're ultra high net worth, meaning you're almost as big as a small institutional client. And you may have to have a family office. You may need to have different types of coverage than can be provided by a retail platform, which is what most of the institutions have. So think of the the biggest, the most sophisticated, larger clients as fitting into the ultra net worth definition. So basically, Brett is ultra high net worth, and ultra, I'm just ultra, regular. Ultra, and, we're, just, and we're the regular. I'm just guys. not even. No, I'm just a net worth. Just looking at him, I can. <laughs> I'm not going to engage. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you work with ultra high net worth families, and then entrepreneurs, as Brett was mentioning. What kind of work do you do for entrepreneurs? What For all the entrepreneurs out there that are listening to this, why do they need your services? Yeah. They may not know. We're specifically talking to entrepreneurs who are contemplating an exit or a a liquidity event. And what we've learned over the years, and we've been doing this for a good 20 years, is that the entrepreneurs that engage in that process often don't give it the proper amount of attention and planning needed to get the best outcomes. Yes, you can sell your business successfully. But did you sell it for the best price? Or more importantly, did you get the best terms and conditions? So many times we've run into entrepreneurs who sold the business. Then we talked to them about estate planning that they could have done. They said, wow, I wish I'd known that then. Or they find find themselves selling the business to a strategic, a competitor in the industry. They have to work for two, three years. Mm -hmm. And then basically their words, I'm working for the man. And they hate it, right? (laughs) Right. Because they're entrepreneurs. So all of a sudden, we have one case of funny situation where it's two years in, he's the person that they're relying on to do consolidations all around the state of Florida, Mm -hmm. and he hates it. Mm -hmm. He has the reports he has to file every month. He has people he needs to report to. He has a whole host of individuals that report into him. And it becomes something that stifles him. Well, and it, and it depends, obviously, on the terms of the deal. If it's an earnout that requires that person to stay two or three years, then you're, if you want to leave, then you're carving you into leave. what you thought you were going to get. Right. So that present, or if there's, you know, if they got a certain amount, let's say they get ninety percent of the deal, you know, they lose ten percent. So those are all things that you can help entrepreneurs with. And so. you touched on something really important. Yeah. You have an earnout yep. that causes them to stay longer than they want to. Mm-hmm. But then the people that buy these entrepreneurs have these tricks up their sleeves yeah. where, yes, you get to have an earn out and you're going to earn a big number in two years, three years. However, maybe your company can't reach those numbers because we've decided as the strategic to take this other entity, put that into your numbers. <laughs> 
we throw headquarter expenses on top of that. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the year, you're never going to reach <laughs> the target. And you're working for the man. It's two years in and you're like, I wish I'd known then what I know now. We had a case go to trial over that exact issue. <laughs> the earnout that was owed. There was a dispute about the earnout that was owed and the allocation of expenses to the subsidiary entity. So, so yeah, we have, we have it one, happens. <laughs> we have one case we're working on where it was a sort of medical practice situation where that seller was kept on, but they bought a professional manager who ends up basically antagonizing all the physicians in the practice mm. and they leave. <laughs> like there's no money, there's no business, right. there's no earnings. That's it. And so they have to sue. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the things that we want to walk entrepreneurs through and say, yeah, you might have gotten a good price for your business. You think it's the right price. Did you get it all up front or did you have to earn it out in the back end? Right. And so those there are lots of questions I think that you would help entrepreneurs with, not just how much money are you going to get or can they pay, but what's the earnout look like and how has that your acquirer operated in the past, right? What have they done to other businesses? Correct. I mean, those are some questions that you may want to be asking and looking into for diligence on the part of the seller, Precisely. right? And too often what ends up happening more cases than not, there's what we call a deal train. You start out, you want to sell. They knock on your door. Here's the number. You're signing up for the deal, right? And you're the entrepreneur. You're in control. Right. You know more than anybody else knows about your business. Process starts. And it's like on the express lane yeah. to yeah. get to an exit. Yeah, yeah, control. Yeah. And you've lost control. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you're overwhelmed. The deal happens. Mm-hmm. Then you wake up and say, oh no, what did I do? So right. we're talking about our exits almost the entirety of the business. You're selling over the shares and giving up control and maybe you stay on, maybe you don't. But what about the situation, and we'll get back to that, but there's also the situation, right, where there's a partial. If you get, you know, private equity comes in and says, okay, we'll buy a portion of the business, 50%, let's say. We have seats on the board. We also are a lender, you know, and then they take control. Do you also assist with those We do. And and again, it's it's if you create a situation in the sales process where there's an auction, Mm -hmm. where you've engaged an investment bank or a boutique bank, you've worked with attorneys like you, you've gotten the right advice. What you end up creating is a process where several people bid for your business. And then that's when you start to ask the questions of the private equity firm. Mm-hmm. Give us ref- references. You've bought other businesses. How are those entrepreneurs being treated? And you talk to them. Or if right. it's a strategic, yeah. you kind of ask the same question. Yeah. Or you say, are you going to load up my business with all these expenses so I'll never meet the earn out that you're dangling in front of me? Right. So all those things are part of a process that we want entrepreneurs to sort of be aware of before they go in to the sale because things kind of happen and you lose control, as you said, and you find yourself in a position where it's two years out. It's Friday afternoon. Instead of going to play golf, you got to read the reports for the next several hours. Who wants that? Yeah. So you, just to clarify though, you're not, you guys don't provide investment banking services. You are providing advisory services, not to the company, but to the company's owner. So you're representing the partners because the bankers are working for the company. I mean, the company's owned by the owner, but they're looking to maximize the value of the company where, and you're advising the owner, hey, this is what's going to be the outcome of this transaction. And here's the effect on you. You need to look at these concerns about you know how who you're going to be working for for how long, what the tax consequences are. So you know you're you're touching on a really important point. Right. So each transaction has the sort of corporate component and the personal component. Right. Yeah. And where does all the attention go to the corporate? Right. Your attorney, your accountant, the banker. Right. They're all talking about the corporate. How does it impact you personally? Right. Right. And so what we do is we'll start with a financial plan ahead of the sale with the entrepreneur, and that's going to identify their goals. More importantly, it will tell them. Here's a lifestyle you want to lead after this, you've sold it. 
Right. If you got this number for it, could you leave money to your kids? Would you have money for philanthropy? Could you buy your yacht, your second home? How do you want to live? So these bids, proposals come in, and we can run that through a financial model and tell the entrepreneur, after taxes, after all expenses, everything, here's what you left with. Does that allow you to lead the life you wanted to lead? And the answer is no, yes. At least you know where your hard line is to say, I can't take this offer. Helping them go through that is really valuable. There's the other part of estate planning. If you've done some of the estate planning, you have assets out of your estate. If you don't do it before the sale, you've lost the opportunity ever to do that. But who spends that three hours with the attorney or who guides the entrepreneur to do that because they're not thinking in that way? So the personal part and the corporate part are separate. And what we want to do is make sure that priority is given at the right time to that personal planning. So that in the back end, you don't look back and say, wow, I missed out on that opportunity and it's not going to come up again. And when's the right time now, right? You're saying, you know, giving the priority at the right time, but it has to be before... At least, I mean, may not be before the LOI, but at least before the contract's signed, the papers are inked or anything like that. I think as soon as the entrepreneur has made a decision, it's time to sell what they want to sell. That's when you'd want to engage with us, your attorney, your accountant, get that kind of advice. Because more often than not, we see is the entrepreneur decides to sell. They know who the strategic competitors are Mm -hmm. and they'll call them Mm -hmm. or they've been called by them before. More, I was going to say more often, I think it's. They're, they're not on the door. Right. They're right. reacting. They get a call right. or a letter or what you know, inquiry from private equity or a competitor or something like that. And that's what triggers that exit mode. You know, it's funny because that's the proverbial knock on the door that you get. And what these people are really expert at doing is to throw a number that's going to grab your attention. Mm-hmm. Right. So you think we had a situation we're working on where the entrepreneur would have been happy to get a fifty million dollar transaction. They dangle a hundred, but you know it's never going to sell for a hundred. <laughs> They're in the room, they start talking, and then say, well, there's this, All there's the board. that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you see the 100 million. And by the time you're right. done, you got 20 million cash, and you're going to have an earn out for 80, you'll never see. Right. So, I mean, it's funny. I, I was talking to somebody the other day who is contemplating selling a business and a uh, small business. And they asked me if they needed a lawyer. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they asked me knowing what my answer would be, but I was almost, I was kind of shocked by at? that. Like, why? I, I don't you know, you know something, that person, he's, he's ahead of the game because the others are saying, I don't need a lawyer. I don't need right. an accountant. Yeah. I don't need a banker. Yeah. Well, I, need a banker I can't do it myself. Why am I going to give away 3%? Because they're going to add more than 3%. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised. I mean, I wouldn't say I was surprised by that, but I mean, you know, how could you go through that transaction? By yourself. By yourself and not have somebody looking out for your interest, even if there's a broker that's involved. The broker is representing the transaction, right? It's almost right. like going through a real estate deal. By the way, you're a lawyer and you would hire a lawyer. Oh, I would. <laughs> oh, and, and I'll heartbeat. Of course. I would hire a lawyer, right? Like right. for any real estate transaction, any, yeah, any home or refi, I always have a lawyer. I don't do it. I like, yeah. You know, so there are people out there. So let alone hiring a lawyer, they hire a lawyer or not on a sale, you're talking about a team, which is, includes obviously the accountant, which is super important. Everyone understands taxes and how that implicates right. it. But now you're you're asking them to hire or, or telling them, hey, you need to also hire me because I'm going to advise you and provide those services. So now effectively, this is your team, which protects. Right. And I think part of your goal, sounds like to me, is to get the entrepreneur to understand that they, the entrepreneur, need the protection. Right. As opposed to the company, it's separate, right? Exactly. That's a distinction I think very few entrepreneurs or business owners, small business owners grasp. We encounter it in the legal context with great frequency, especially on the the opposite side, not where you're growing and selling, but where you're dying and maybe liquidating or shutting down or restructuring. 
is that the interests of the company and the interests of the owner aren't always aligned. And so oftentimes, you know, we'll be representing a company and the client asks us a question and we say, well, you know what, you really should get personal counsel for that. And they're saying, what do you, you are my personal right. counsel. No, no, we represent the company. Right. We always clarify this in the, in the front end, just, just to be clear. But that distinction is a difficult one for many to grasp. You know, so I guess, let me ask you, do you, I think the time to hire you is earlier before they're in the exit stage, right? Because I would expect that nearly every entrepreneur is thinking about exit at some point. They may not be at the exit point, you know, at the exit ramp yet, but they're thinking about it. And so isn't it better to build a relationship with you sooner so that you have a sense of the family dynamics, exactly. you know, what the planning requires, what the philanthropic interests might be? so that, that you can guide them in the right direction when it does come time to exit? You're right. So a year before the sale or a year and a half before the sale is right. probably the right time to start this process. Right. And there might be some things that one can clean up in the company to make it more ready to sell that we can address. But again, I think thinking about this and planning for it and having the right team mm-hmm. is, right. is really key. If you just think about it, you're going to go up against the private equity firm that has lawyers, that has bankers, They've that done has it people. Dozens and dozens. And of it's time. like a well oiled machine. Plug and play. Right? And you're right. and you're going up against people that know how to take yeah. advantage. Well, that's yeah. their that's their goal, right? Yeah. Is yeah. to continue to build right. right their asset base for as little outflow as possible. I mean that no you can't blame them. That's right. their business, but they, they're very sophisticated. Just think of the asymmetry. Yeah. It's like you're yeah. you're a welterweight going up against the heavyweight. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're talking about the timing. If you do come in when they're on the exit ramp, you're sitting down with the owner having a totally different conversation. It has nothing to do with the assets of the business. It's really about personal assets. How many kids? Where are they going to college? What's going to be the expenses? Does your wife work? Do you own your home? Things that really are separate from the business, but impacted, obviously. So, you know, one of the interesting things that we, we talk about before they sell is, okay, what are you going to do after? What is your exit plan like after? So, too many times... The entrepreneur sitting in their home office, it's six months after the sale, and the spouse looks at them and says, well, are you still here? <laughs> like, aren't you going to do something? Or there's another, there's another situation, which right. is funny, is uh, a younger entrepreneur, he sold the business in his, in his 30s, and he had young kids. And, you know, the kids go to school, and they ask, what does your dad do? And uh, the kids say, he, he drives us around all day. <laughs> Right, right. That made him go back to work. Yeah. All right. So what are you going to do after? Are you going to travel? Are you going to you know, be a philanthropist? Right. Are you going to do invest other businesses? Right. And, and you'd be surprised at how sort of at sea adrift people are. Sure. When they haven't figured out what's next. Well, I mean, it's natural, right? I mean, you right. spend all of your time before your exit working and building a career and then building a business. You get to that point, right? And all you know is that business and then it's... I'm going to exit. And then it's like, all right, now what? Right. You know, I think you're right to start at least thinking about it. But I think it is fair if somebody, you know, doesn't know. Right. I don't know. I need time quiet to think about it. Which is great. Yeah. Then if you could plan for it ahead of time. Again, it's this question of thinking through this stuff and not having it happen to you. So I think, you know, the ideal situation that you and Jeff were talking about is people calling you when they're, it's just the idea of potentially exiting is in their head. But how often does that really happen? Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, listen, right. it's, yeah, the same, no, it's the same thing yeah, right. with us and our clients. To, we're trying to get you some yeah, clients. Yeah, we're trying to get right. you yeah, Call, yeah. call yeah. early. I mean, we do that with our clients, right? right. I mean, yeah. they always call us when they the house is on wait. fire. Yeah. Always. Yeah. You know, and our view is like, when you're getting into a deal, just call us. Right. Let us look in so we can yeah. advise you on what happens on the rainy right. day. 
You know, it's all sunny right. now, but let's talk about a rainy day. And, you know, I guess I understand that from their perspective. Like, ah, I don't need it. It's okay, whatever. But, you know, we always get the call on the back end. And we do too. Yeah. And, and there's no way around it, which right. is why we're having this kind of conversation. Right. Yes. So yeah. that person yeah. who does listen, yeah. maybe but, you plant a seed. So listener. But I think it's yeah. listener. Yeah. Get Pay out attention. early. Yeah. Turn up the volume. Turn up the volume. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, as I think, you know, Brett's comment before highlights this, talking to an entrepreneur, they don't even want to hire a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much less an investment banker who's, you know, an expert in the transaction side. And now you're, no offense, another you know, rung on that ladder yep. and they haven't even you know retained the professionals for the company. But now you're saying, hey, but you also should retain someone for yourself, looking out for yourself too. And so let's make a succinct pinch, pitch because we now we've asked them to turn the, up the volume. Pitch. What's the uh, pitch yeah. here? Why do they need, why are you just as important as all these other Well, we're all as important because- You might be more important. No, we're, we're going to create additional value for you in a lot of ways that you don't identify today. Mm-hmm. And again, you don't want to be in the seat, and we can introduce you to all people who are, who sit there and say, I would have willingly spent the extra amount yeah. for the attorney, for the accountant, for the advisor, right. if I had known then what I know now. We're trying to open your eyes to see, right. it may be, or it may appear to be an additional expense that you don't need, but believe me, you're going to be happy that you made that investment because yeah. it's going to pay off in spades in the long run. Sure. When we were talking earlier before we started recording, I think you mentioned some stats to you about... Right. Uh, so one of the stats that I highlighted was mm-hmm. entrepreneurs who take their businesses to market only sell 20% of the time. So out of every 10 transactions, two are successful. And why aren't they successful? Mostly it's because they're not ready for sale, which is the process allows them to understand if they are. But they're not successful because they haven't done the things that we were talking about doing right now. Right. And then lastly, this is the sort of a sad part is you're that two in 10 that's sold successfully, but you're working on that earnout. Right. right. And you're miserable. Of the two, how many of, of those, right. two, how many right. of those are, right. you know, happy? So if we're going there and we're going to be patting them on the back, wow, you're successful, you sold your business, and the guy's looking at you, it's Friday afternoon, five o'clock, and he's got a stack of papers to mm-hmm. go through, it's like... Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. My bank account might have some money here, but <laughs> right. I'm stuck. I'm right. Stuck because at a I mean, desk job. That's right. an excellent, right. Because they were an owner and now they're an employee. That is such a hard adjustment to make. And so when you think about what an earnout means, mm-hmm. how many of them are internalizing the fact that two years out, you're going to be an employee? You've got someone you need to report to. Yeah. And that guy could be a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, sometimes there's no way around it. Right. If you want to get the maximum value and if if that's ultimately the transaction you enter into that there may be no way around it. There may be ways to structure your employment agreement that you can help them with that will ease that, right? Or ease the earn out or have carve outs in the event of certain things that happen and um, but you know, but for of some it. owners, the yeah. best answer might be get more cash and less of a headline number. Right. Maybe it's worth a million dollars to you right. not to have to be that guy that works on Fridays. Sure, right? In a $20 million transaction, you may say, okay, I'll take the $18 million cash, cash right. and I'll leave the $2 million on right. the table, right? So right. I don't have to do that. But there are some people who say, no, I want the $2 million, so I'm going to stay for two years. Right. You know? Right. More likely it's 12 million plus eight well, over right. four years yeah. or something. Yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. You know? and, I, right, and again, right, right, eyes yeah. wide open, you're going to take that, but right. let's make sure that someone like us has that conversation sure. with you to say, are you prepared to be in this seat right. two years out? Well, because you could be. Yeah. And I'm sure that the calculus is the same for people who you're consulting with before they hire you or they're thinking of hiring you is the same sort of thought process for us. It's like, well, what if it doesn't close? And, or then I'm paying you. Why am I doing that? So maybe I don't need right. the lawyer. I don't need the advisor. Right. But, 
yeah, like you get, still get the value out of it. Right. And if this transaction doesn't close now, you've, you're kind of set up and teed up to be successful to, next to see, time. Right, yeah. to be successful yeah. in the next transaction or something that comes along. What's right? interesting is what does success mean well, in a transaction, right? Because right? everyone's got a different What does success mean? Right, period. Right, right. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, yeah. That's too yeah. philosophical. No, I get today. you. But in the trans, yeah. let's talk about yeah. it in a transaction. What does right. that mean, right? right? Is it the highest number? Right. Or is it best terms and conditions plus a number? Yeah. Success is to me a fraction, the numerator of which is what you want and the denominator is what you what you have and the success is the when closest, it equals one. Right, right. right. exactly. Yeah. You were talking about the fees. How are you guys compensated? Because most you know, investment bankers, they get a percentage of a transaction. Are you on a, do you have a similar structure? Or so we, are, we're compensated vary? on the assets that we manage. Right. What we charge a flat fee on the assets we manage. So at right. the beginning of the process, we're making an investment in the entrepreneur that at the end of it, We'll get to work with them and manage their right. wealth entirely. But up until they've had a sale, up until they've had stuff to invest with us, we're, we're making an investment in them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And the value is just so near impossible to measure that value. Because I really do think, you know, the idea is you are, you're the consigliere. You're, you're advising the owner yeah. about their, per, you know, their person and nobody else in the deal flow is. You know? So I'll just share with you one one fact pattern as well. So last summer, we're talking to an entrepreneur who has his brother in the business. He wants to sell because he does 99% of the work and the brother does 1% and the brother's getting 50% of the profits. And he said, I got to get this guy out of here. And a lot of the, the terms that were being you know, bandied about the proposals, mm-hmm. he had to run by the brother to get the approval. And so part of our job was just to psychologically calm him down and say, look, I know you're ticked off at this guy, but <laughs> right. th- we're doing this to get him out. Right. So right. what is it? You know, so it's like, that's also part of a process. And but the banker's not worried about that. The accountant's not worried about that. Yeah. But we are. It's like, I know you're angry at your brother, but. Well, it's true advisory role, right? right. And keeping everybody's head in the right direction. The, the entrepreneur's head Correct. and mind. Let's, let's, sort of let's, the let's, eyes, yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Let's focus on the prize. Right. Yeah. Why are we doing this? Right. 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 Not, yeah. to, not to take another shot at somebody. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because everybody else is focused on the closing, but you're focused on the day after. Exactly. Well, or the year after. Even before. I mean, you focus on before the closing. Right. Right. And then the closing and then after. So, like the before, the during, and the after. Yeah. um, Exactly. Is something that you focus on and help the entrepreneur focus. And and have them look at these as three phases that Mm -hmm. one can address. And if you don't and you've gone through something, you're going to regret not having gone through a pre sale, a during sale, and a post sale. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. You know, before we sign off, what tell us about your Great Danes. So you have two Great Danes? I got two Great Danes. Let me tell you that they are the gentle giants. Amazing I, dogs. I, yeah. I love them. Yeah. When I was a three-year-old down the street, our neighbor had a Great Dane. Mm-hmm. And that dog was way bigger yeah. than I was. And I was never afraid of it. Yeah. And that's always created my love for that dog. Yeah. So just to tell you how influential I am in my own family, I always love Great Danes. My wife always know that, so we ended up owning pugs. <laughs> yeah. Eventually. Eventually, you got Eventually, your Danes. We got, we got, we got Danes. That was your exit. That was, you got, that that was your that prize, was, that was right? My, yeah, Success. I planned, I planned years and years ahead for that, right, <laughs> exactly. to get to that exit trip. Exactly. Fantastic. Exactly. Well, uh, we look forward to meeting those Great Danes one day. If you have any questions for Gislaine, please reach out to him, contact him. If you like this episode, give us a five-star review, follow us. His contact information will be in the show notes. And his contact information will be in the show notes. Thank you, Brett. If you want to follow us or contact us, please, our information is also in the show notes. And we'll see you next time. These guys are the best. You guys are awesome. Thank Thank you you so much for coming. We appreciate it. And thank you, Nelson. Nelson. And thank you, Brett. No, no. Thank you. It is my honor to be here. That's true. 
<laughs> For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron.com. 